This week, a sensitive sent me emotional notes on her visit to Ancaster's Hermitage Ruins. And I share the time another psychic communicated with my dead neighbor in regards to my never-existing twin. That opening was a mouthful, which makes complete sense because this episode is going to be kind of a mouthful. Uh, I have a couple of things that I'm adding to it alongside of the major subjects here. Uh, First, I want to apologize to you, my beloved listeners. I lied to you. I'm very sorry I did this, but I lied. (laughs) I I was supposed to do an interview. Uh, It didn't work out. So I've kind of lost my motivation in it. Not not in a, you know, a Daniel is a lazy ghost guide kind of way, but more in the sense that um, I got to kind of feel the things coming towards me. I got to understand that it is what I'm supposed to be doing next. I do believe in the idea of, of uh, a certain type of fate and that if you push too hard against something that's not right for you, that it will push back. And I know I'm going to do interviews regularly, so it's going to become one of those things where I'm not going to lie to you anymore. I've turned over a new leaf. You can trust me now. I'm different today. I'm a better person than I was yesterday <laughs> because I, uh, I'm just not going to tell you. Uh, basically, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. I'm just going to keep it super quiet. And then what's going to happen is you're going to see the interview episodes pop up on the page Whenever I have an interview that works out, that doesn't get delayed, uh, where I have an amazing guest that just comes through, and that, of course, I have the motivation to do it as well. So I won't be promoting them. They'll just show up. Just think of them like a uh, Christmas surprise all year round. So I received a really interesting email from a woman who was on the Hermitage Ruins tour. Now, if you don't know that one, where have you been? And second, uh, it's not the most known locations in the sense of history, but it is very well known in the sense of ghosts. It is legendarily haunted. In fact, one of the most famous legends in Ancaster and all of Canada even is the legend associated with the Hermitage and the coachman named William Black. We tell that story on the tour. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. So when we do the tour, it is one of the more secluded locations, but you are still outdoors. So if experiences are going to happen, it's kind of hard to tell because it could be a a bird in a nearby tree or something. You don't know. It's not as confined a location as if you're inside of a house or a structure where you have control over the sound of the space so that you can actually do a very good legit investigations so the hermitage does not lend itself well to investigations but when go out there for ghost walks if something legit is going to happen you're going to know it because it's very quiet out there so if something rattles in the tree chances are it's an animal but if somebody sees a gray shadow shaped like a man walking beside the tour group in the woods then you can you can know that's something which actually did happen during one of the tours a few years ago so when i have people who come on the tour who are sensitive who are psychic who are mediums just uh they pick up on this kind of stuff i'm always interested in what they have to say 
So it was very nice of a young lady to send me an email with some details. Uh, out of a request, I'm gonna re- it's going to remain anonymous. But uh, I do want to go over the stuff that she picked up. I, I, have, I read it over, but I haven't done a detailed deep dive. I'm going to do that for you now. And see, see if I can find this. Could, this could crash and burn, I warn you. But uh, I'm going to try and find some connections in, in, in what she picked up on versus what I know personally about the grounds, which everything I know about the grounds and the history isn't what might be conveyed on the tour because the tour has a certain time limit to it. And for that reason, we can't tell everything. Otherwise, these tours will last for four hours and nobody wants that. So, all right, so let me just pull up the email here. So I'm not going to read a word for word. I'm just going to go straight to her impressions of the space. So she came out on one of the tours. And if you don't know, basically people meet in the parking lot, which is where the gatehouse is. So that's where people used to have to check in before they went up the pathway that we walked by their horse-drawn carriages, we walk, to visit the Leith family at the Hermitage House, which eventually became the ruins. So we meet at the gatehouse, and we actually have access. We check everybody in, we start the tour, and then we end up going up the path with the tour group, and we end up at the ruins. So she came on the tour, she did all of that, didn't say anything the night of, at least I don't know, she might have been on Ghost Guy Jeffrey's tour, but I'm, I'm not familiar if she said anything. And then afterwards, uh, wrote down all of her impressions of the space. So psychics, they go into a haunted place. They might have impressions. It's them reading the energy. It is also if some communication comes through, not necessarily hearing voices. Uh, some psychics, they hear. Some psychics see. And many psychics, including us you know, on the borderline non-psychics feel. Feeling, I, th- in my opinion, is probably the most common out of all the psychic impressions. Now, I, I, I think she has a mix of different types of impressions here. Um, okay, so here we go. The first note that she gives is she had a sudden, very strong smell of burning paper and wood when standing by the ruins of the house that lasted a few short seconds. So that one, that's, that's an obvious one because the house itself burnt to the ground. That's the reason why it's ruins. So this one makes complete sense to me. Uh, and the reason was, uh, I guess you could call it faulty or maybe it was just of the times, but I, I say faulty because there were a couple times that a fire got started because sparks were shooting out of the fireplace inside the house. The first fire they were able to put out, this was in the early 1900s when Alma, uh, I guess we'll say her last name is Leith, when she got married, she actually took her husband's last name, which (laughs) I try not to laugh. I don't want to sound immature, but uh, his last name was Dick Louder. And I I don't say that anymore on the tour because when you say, uh, yes, the house used to be owned by Alma Dick Louder, (laughs) it's like... I'm trying to be serious, and uh, I, I have people who have the same sense of humor that I do <laughs> on the tour, and they'll laugh. So I only say Alma now, or I'll say Alma Leith, which is her maiden name, uh, just because I'm trying to keep that seriousness in that moment, but I digress. So smelling burning wood 
and paper even, I mean, wood is kind of paper, right? There's wood and paper. Makes complete sense. When you're by the ruins, uh, the ruins burnt down. That's why they were ruins. So that one, I do believe completely. Uh, the second one is the feeling of immense sadness by the back of the ruins. Uh, like despair, but not dark energy. So there's a couple things here. So immense sadness to the back. Now the back is where we tell the legend of William Black. And it has a tragic end to it. But it didn't actually happen on that spot. So I'm not sure if there would be sadness associated with the back there. Although... There has been an experience where William was seen back there, but I think William's been seen all over the ruins. So it could have just been maybe a feel in general because that back building wasn't a carriage house. That back building was a laundry house and an ice house. It was, you know, two rooms in one structure, which I, I don't think a lot of people are going to have immense sadness when they're doing their laundry or or getting ice. I don't know. I, I, I personally hate doing laundry, so maybe I have sadness. I don't know if it's immense but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about the connection with that one. The next one, she says, is a young man who was in love with the owner's niece. So she's describing William Black here. So she said he was of medium height. He was brunette, pale skin, uh, short wavy hair, round black eyes, and he was soft-spoken. Uh, she didn't see William wearing a hat but saw him wearing a black long coat with a slit at the back and knee-high boots. All of this makes complete sense to me. This is, out of all the notes, this is actually the one that kind of hit me the most. It's like, it's nice to actually have an image in my head to have a description of what William Black would look like. Because the last name Black, it's kind of strange, because when you say servant, a lot of people, the first thing that they might think is instead of servant, they might think slave. And when you say the last name is Black, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, we're in Canada. It's not the same. Obviously, William Black is, uh, was a white man because that's just, you know, how the times were. And uh, so, yeah, to have this description here that goes against what the stereotype might have been for somebody who really only put a little bit of thought into it is, is interesting. And to say he's soft-spoken makes complete sense to me. Because he was very nervous about telling Otto that he was in love with Otto's niece. Uh, it was like a daughter to Otto. So he was scared to do it. And the fact that he wasn't more forthcoming with that means he was probably soft-spoken. Uh, not wearing a hat. Not sure about that. I think a lot of the coachmen of the day would wear a hat. And the main reason for that is to have the sun constantly blinding you while you're uh, running the carriage you would need a hat to block that so that you could see what's coming up ahead of you so I do think he would be wearing a hat unless there was some medical reason for him not to but maybe that's the case or maybe it was just how she saw him long black coat makes sense and definitely the knee-high boots because if the carriage gets stuck in mud He's the guy who's going to be tasked. That's historically the coachman is the one who has to jump down and get it out of the mud. So knee-high boots is a must. You don't see that in the movies, the TV shows, unless they're very accurate. But they should be wearing that. Uh, so yeah, no, this makes complete sense. The best one of all the stuff that she sent me, it, it hit me 
that, you know, I can finally have kind of like this image of William Black. As for the sadness, it felt like love lost, like someone missing another person and crying for them, not an overall sadness. So this one was interesting in the sense that I think she was trying to state that the grounds and she does come back to this later on because we kind of say the grounds are cursed we kind of give the idea that the area has an extremely dark energy and this isn't just because of the hermitage there's something else about it that dates back even before the hermitage ruins so there was like native legends that were associated with kind of the strange energy of that space so it almost seems like she was tapped in specifically to William Black himself. And maybe she felt a connection to him. So only feeling his sadness makes complete sense to me. So I still believe, not to say that she's wrong, I, I, but I do believe that the area has a much darker energy than what is stated here. And one of the main reasons why is because of that history associated with it. Uh, but also even dating back to native times. So she could have just been tapped into William himself, but there's other stuff. Uh, she also says that there was a strong scent of tomato plants and fresh herbs at the back of the ruins. Um, she had a, It gave her a craving for tomatoes, which I love. Uh, she goes on, she actually gives a story. She's like, she asked her friend if she ha had any tomatoes at home because she was dying for them. And uh, <laughs> she believes there was gardening there, which is true. This one is uh, straight out true. And we don't actually mention on the tour, which is really interesting, that one of the reasons they called it Hermitage is because it's self-sufficient. And the Leith family, they did have farmland around the ruins where they could grow their own food. So uh, tomato plants would have definitely been a part of that. So that is true. She says, when we were walking back and stopped for further information to be learned, I was taking a picture of fireflies by the back of the woods. So this is on the pathway that leads up to the ruins. We're going the opposite direction. She's taking a picture of fireflies. As I looked into the phone camera to adjust the zoom, a black flying long shadow went through the camera in the same area where I was trying to photograph. Unfortunately, I was taken aback and wasn't able to take the picture. Now, I, I, I know most people would immediately go to the obvious cause of this being a large insect that flew through and from the camera screen, it might have looked like a long shadow. But considering, too, that this would have been at going into nighttime, so that if there was a large insect that could actually cause the long shadow because it'd have to exist in the in the lens for a little bit of time, she would have saw it because it would have been right in front of her face. And so for that reason, I, I do think that if she saw the insect in the corner of her eye, that she would have said that. So maybe it's something else. And the interesting part of that is I already mentioned about the gray shadow. This is the location where the gray shadow was seen. So since she was kind of plugged into that psychic energy of the place, maybe she was drawing stuff towards her. And we all know uh, cameras tend to capture the things that we might not see with the naked eye. So if she had snapped the photo 
I would have been very interested in seeing on what the camera picked up. She just had snapped the photo, but I can understand also being taken aback because you get freaked out in that type of situation. I've, I've had that feeling before, and sometimes you forget, and it's so quick in the moment that it's difficult to react quickly enough, and we miss out. But I believe her. Uh, just a couple more here. And the first one was that she said she was informed that the group was being observed and not watched. Now, she says she was informed. I immediately knew what she meant by that. It was the spiritual energy, like she was feeling the message from something that we were just being observed. So she says she's not sure how to explain it, but there was more than one entity. And she was just curious that the entities were just curious of what we were doing there. And um, they were happy we were taking an interest in the area. Now, this one, I do believe it to be true. I don't think it's a sense where the entities, unless they don't have memory, which is very possible. I've heard that theory put out, but it for me, it gets a little bit too deep. And the idea of ghosts is like, okay, first do ghosts exist? Then do the experiences we have, are they real? And then does the horror movie stuff actually true or not? And then I decide, oh, do ghosts have memory? That's one I really didn't really care about getting into because I'm too busy trying to prove they exist. So my guess is they do because I think the entire uh, memory of reality in general tends to exist on an energy form. So I do believe ghosts have memory. And if that's the case, my my purpose of having this long-winded rant is that they would have known us to be there. We've been doing this tour since, I believe, 2004. And they would have known us to be there before. So they wouldn't have been curious. They probably at that point would have realized what we're doing. Unless these were new ghosts. New, uh, you know, newbie ghosts. Freshmen. Freshman ghosts. Just off the ghost plane. Showing up and it's like, hey guys, what's going on over here? <laughs> Something like that. And the final note she says is, I almost immediately got the feeling the house burning wasn't an accident that it was done on purpose. Can't pinpoint why. I can see and hear money about it and not sure what to make of it. Now this one, I can I can go back to the history and say that this one's probably not true. And uh, I mean, there, there could be like an energy there that asked that question. I, I have no doubt there was uh, somebody who was visiting who said, hey, it was probably burnt down for the insurance money, but that's not true. Because the one thing we do know about it is that Alma Leith uh, didn't have insurance. That's the reason why it's ruined. She was a well-known writer and historian in the city of Hamilton, wrote for The Spectator. And when the house burnt down, we realized she doesn't make a ton of money. And there was no insurance, so she had no choice but to to live on the grounds in, in front of her burnt-down house. Which, if it was done for the money, then it would have been fixed up most likely. Um, so I can't really think of anything else because the Leith family knocked down the original house that belonged to Otto Ives. Uh, when they came in, there was no fire then. So there was the original fire that was put out. But again, I think that I'm almost sure that was the fireplace. Uh, so to say that it was that wasn't an accident, I'm going to say uh, it, it probably wasn't an accident in the sense that they knew the fireplaces sucked 
So they could have uh, they could have gone on that and said, okay, let's fix the fireplace. We'll figure it out. I guess put a screen or something in front of it, whatever the solution was back then to stop the sparks from coming out. So the fact that they didn't do that, maybe you could say the the negligence of not doing that could say that it's an accident. But even as I'm saying this, I know I'm reaching. So I'm going to I'm going to have to say that I don't believe that to be true. On the final point here that the burning wasn't an accident, I do believe completely that it was. Anyway, I'll say thank you so much to the uh, anonymous lady who sent this in. I appreciate it, and you gave me some real stuff to think about, and I will never forget for the rest of my life my new image of what William Black looked like. It's perfect. It was uh, medium height, brunette, pale skin, short wavy hair, round black eyes, and quite soft-spoken. Now, this story has stuck with me for years. I really can't believe I haven't talked about it till now. I, I am absolutely floored by the information that I received from this psychic. He is an active psychic. You can, you can visit him. You can get readings from him. His name is Jim Hunt. So that's J-I-M, last name H-U-N-T. And he's based out of Toronto. So how did I get connected with him? Well, there was a TV show that was in the works. I don't remember if it ended up getting done. I'm pretty sure it did. And they were scouting some of the locations that we feature on the ghost walks. So we contacted the ghost walks. He says, we want to feature some of the locations. I said, great. I'm, I'm excited. Let's do this. And he's like, okay, we'll set up to go to different locations. We just want to see it. We're going to bring our psychic with us. I didn't know his name at the time. And you can tell us some of the ghost stories and we'll see if it will do well in the show. So that's what we did. We, uh, they came to Hamilton and I, I drove with them. And we went to some places, went to Century Manor, which couldn't have been rented, but they had some ideas, but it never worked out anyway. And the one that sticks in my mind the most is we went to Ruthven. And now I need you to know, before I went into this, uh, back then I still had a high opinion of ghost shows, although I kind of knew that many of them were fake. So for this reason, I, I was a little skeptical, even though I love them, I was still skeptical of how they were going to cover it because there have been so many times I've been burned in the past that they've added stories that were never told that were way over the top and in a way they made me look ridiculous and so many other times where I've done a ton of work to help them out and then the show didn't air or if um, sometimes they would they would our credit was basically just a small typed ghost walks at the end in the credits which you didn't even see and I realized, okay, I got, I got had again. So these days I'm a little more hesitant to be part of the ghost shows. I do have a history with it uh, going all the way back to Ghost Trackers and Creepy Canada. I'll, I'll talk about that in the future. So low opinion and uh, not too sure if these folks were legit, although the producer was a very nice guy. And they're coming in saying we have a psychic and some of the psychics I met in the past were just like kind of loony. So again, not going into it very well. So we go to Ruthven, and I meet, um, I met Jim before that when we were traveling around, but this time I actually got to see him work. 
And I was amazed. I mean, he did well. Uh, I wasn't 100% sure if he knew that stuff from research because Ruthven's history is posted quite uh, available on the internet. So it's not too hard to find. So it is possible that he could have researched beforehand. And at that point, I wasn't 100% sure. But I knew he was well known, that he was quite respected in the city of Toronto. So we had toured Ruthven. That was all done. And then afterwards, uh, we were done doing the tour. He's like, oh, come back to my house. He lived in Caledonia, which is just near Ruthven, not too far. He's like, come back to my house and we'll sit, we'll have a drink, and we'll just discuss the show in general. And I was like, "Uh, I'm not much of a social butterfly. But I kept that in. I said, sure, why not? And I'm glad I did. Because one of the most interesting psychic experiences of my life happened inside that modern house in Caledonia. So we go there, we're standing in the kitchen, I have a Coca-Cola, and uh, Jim is standing to my left, leaning against the counter, and the producer and his wife, and I think there was a a second guy, I don't know if he was another producer, uh, we were all just kind of standing there chatting, and there was a bit of a lull in the conversation, and Jim turns and looks at me, psychic Jim Hunt turns and looks at me and says, do you know Lily? And I was like, no, no, I, I I don't know what you're talking about. But that was just my reaction. I didn't actually think about it because I was like in the moment, I'm a little, I, I didn't like being the center of attention in that situation. I was kind of happy just kind of blending into the, uh, the countertop there. But she, he says, do you know Lily? And my first reaction is, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. But then I thought about it. Didn't realize it. Then it hit me. And I do. I do know who Lily is. Um, When I was a child growing up in the east end of Hamilton, our neighbor, Lily, was kind of like my adoptive grandmother. She was this wonderful, kind Polish woman. Uh, We loved her. Whenever my parents uh, had to do something or go somewhere, she always watched my brother and me. And I had so much fun hanging out at her house. And when we moved to the mountain, Hamilton Mountain, Uh, I would go to her house because I had one more year left at my elementary school. So I would go to her house for lunch uh, every single day during the week because it was just easier than my parents having to pick me up or eating at the school. And I would sit and I would eat and then I would sit down and we would watch. um, It was the Flintstones at first. And then later on, I, uh, I, I started watching the Twilight Zone. And that just shows I'm doing the right thing today because I loved the original black and white Twilight Zone. I would watch it every every time at lunch. And then the Flintstones was a distant memory for me. <laughs> Remember, I'm, I'm still in elementary school at this time. So, you know, she was, uh, you know, like a grandmother to me. And I so then it hit me and then I actually, I, I cut off the conversation. I went to Jim. I said, wait a minute. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, I didn't know her. I do know who Lily is. And that's when he said, she used to see your twin. Now, this amazes me because this one sentence, even though to everybody else listening and to you listening right now, means absolutely nothing to you. It hit me like a ton of bricks because, and this is going to get a little bit personal, I have always had this obsession with having a twin. I don't have a twin but I've had an obsession with it. And when I was a little kid growing up, I would, 
you know, hear about twins. I would see twins on TV and I just assumed everybody in the world wanted a twin. So I told this to people at times, you know, how much do you want a twin? And they'd be like, I don't want a twin. I'm happy being the only version of me. (laughs) And I was like, not me. I would love to have a twin. And I didn't realize why. I had no understanding why everybody didn't want to have a twin. And then I found out later on from my parents that I was supposed to be a twin. And that's why, I mean, that line just absolutely hit me in so many different ways. Because I was supposed to be a twin. I always had this feeling of a missed connection with a twin. And here he's saying that Lily is coming back from the beyond to tell him that she used to see my twin. That she would see, um, uh, I guess this said a little boy, but I mean, at a certain age, young year, year, you know, it could be a girl or a boy, standing beside me, like following me around in life. So that uh, I, I, even though that I didn't have my twin in living form, that supposedly my tin, twin was still with me for many, many years. Uh, I don't think that lasts forever. I do believe at one point my twin has moved on. I, I've used meditation. I've used, uh, you know, discussion with psychics over the years to know that I don't have that energy with me anymore. So that they probably have moved on. I don't know when but that they have, but it just hit me so hard. And there's no way in hell that Jim could have possibly known that. There is no information. There's no history of Ghost Guy Daniel on the internet that you can look up. Not like Ruthven, but it's just, it's impossible. He just, he floored me. And I've had many interesting experiences with psychics over the years, but this one hit me the hardest because of how personal it was to me and it will go down in history as like what effect is. So if anybody ever asked me over the years, it's like, do I recommend a psychic? There's the ones I've worked with, uh, when Kate, uh, my interview subject, she used to do psychic readings. I'd recommend her. Uh, another one I worked with was Michelle. I'd recommend her, but definitely Jim, I would recommend for sure. Uh, cause he's active. You can probably become his client. There's not like, you know, um, yeah, he has time for it. So definitely, if you are looking for a psychic, give Jim Hunt a try. Again, he floored me, and that is not an easy thing to do. Now, I would see Jim again in, uh, years later. I was doing, uh, I was helping him again, or helping another producer, I believe. It was a different show, if I'm not mistaken, that they were bringing him to be part of. And the producer was like, yeah, we're going to bring this guy named Jim Hunt. Uh, he says he knows you. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jim, we're, we're old friends, <laughs> even though I only, I only saw him the one time. Uh, and we, we went to the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, and I saw Jim again. So the, I, I did get more impressions from him, but I don't really have time to go over them here. It's going to be a, a future segment that he once again was able to floor me, and it's something he couldn't have possibly known. So get 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 ready for that. Finally, I just want to mention that I have reopened my Facebook thing again. If you go to facebook.com slash ghostguidedaniel, there is a podcast page now, and I found a purpose for it, which is wonderful. It came to me in a dream one night, not really, but kind of. And the purpose is to give a different, additional information, to give pictures and videos, articles, whatever, related to each show, each week's podcast. 
So that way I can kind of make a deeper dive. So if you do like some of the stuff I'm talking about, you want to see a deeper dive, uh, for example, this week, I'll probably post some photos from Ruthven so you can see that. I'll post the link to um, Jim Hunt's page on there, uh, stuff like that. So if you want to see that, you go on Facebook, just go to uh, Ghost Guy Daniel and uh, like it. I'd appreciate the support. Was saying that the show has come to an end. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.